Good morning. It's so fun to be together on this day. It was great to uh, host many of you at our trunk or treat last night. And, uh, and then today we celebrate not only dedication of kids, but um, this is Reformation Day. Did you know that? We celebrate our history as a church more than 500 years ago of the recovery of God's Word and His grace and uh, what that means for us. So if you are visiting for the first time, welcome to our family. The church is not just a preaching center, not just a mission base. It is that, but it's a family. And you've got a glimpse into our family. I was just thinking about Zach and Kylie. While Kylie was still pregnant, they came. We were meeting out in the tent at that time. And they came to me. It was such a privilege. They were like, can you help us name our baby? I've never actually been asked that before. And I was like, you don't want me to name it. Like, I'll... I'll, I'll team with you, but you know, so they had all these different names and what did I think? And I was like, Harrison Hoover sounds so presidential, you know? <laughs> and uh, they landed with that. They had a few uh, names, but just wonderful to be the family of God together. And uh, if you're joining us, we have been about two months in the book of Daniel, which is uh, just after Ezekiel. It's one of uh, the prophetic books in the Old Testament. We're going to go there. And it's a book kind of divided into two parts. The first is, first six chapters are really the story of this teenager, Daniel, who with his friends get carried into exile in Babylon. And there they serve uh, the king under great pressure. They have to uh, face huge, huge opposition, but they stand strong. And one of the great verses in Daniel is those who know their God will be strong and take action. And we have been asking, what does it mean to be strong by faith, to be brave by faith in a culture that feels more and more like Babylon? And we continue with that today, but around chapter seven, there's this transition where it's not so much narrative as much as it is apocalyptic literature. And apocalyptic literature is just literature that deals with both the end times, the future, but the word apocalypse actually means the unveiling. You can turn my mic down a little bit because I'm gonna shout at you, I'm joking. <laughs> at times I might. It means the unveiling. And what we see is that Daniel has these dreams and interpretations. And in it, God speaks to him and to the king and to Babylon about the rise and fall of kingdoms. And some of these dreams are like, they're like video games, man. He, he dreams of lions and bears and leopards with wings. And it's creepy. It's almost hallucinogenic. But actually, it's God speaking and God revealing the kingdoms that are gonna rise and fall. The amazing thing is, as we look back hundreds of years, we actually find that God did what He said He would do. It's an incredibly reassuring book. But the word apocalypse, and I mean, this is Halloween, so kind of zombie apocalypse is there. It's in the zone, right? But the word apocalypse actually means not just the end things, it means the unveiling. It means that God opens up our eyes to see reality. It's like He pulls back the curtains where we see who He is and what He is doing and the struggle as God's will prevails. And I'm asking as we dedicate kids, 
as we follow Jesus in a culture that feels like Babylon? What is it to be apocalyptic disciples? What is it to raise apocalyptic kids? And by that, I don't mean kids walking around like zombies. By that, I, although some of them will today, but by that, I mean, what is it to actually have our eyes wide open to the realities of Jesus and His will and His word? Every time Ronell and I talk about parenting, and we're gonna talk about that a little bit this morning, there's always this thing of like, oh, number one, our kids are not perfect. Number two, normally after we talk on like what we've got right, they do something wrong. So just bear with me here. But I know because we've, we've, we've parented for 22 years and we're still going, there are those moments, you know, you, you, as parents, you just are trying to make good choices about education and friends and eat your vegetables and, you know, dragging them off to church and youth group. And sometimes it can just feel so like, Ugh, you know, but there are those moments where God just breaks into your kid's life and their eyes are opened to the reality of God. That just makes it worth it. And we are still in it with our kids, but we have some fresh recent testimony of God just breaking in where one of our kids' eyes was just open to the reality of the voice of God. And I just wanna say, parents, it's worth it. It's worth it. And I know that some of the heartbreak of parents is when our kids' eyes are open to something of the brokenness of the world. And they see things they can't unsee. Some, someone shows them porn on a phone. Otherwise, they're exposed to violence or, or bullying or racism. Or, and you just go, oh, I wish they hadn't seen that. And they can't unsee it. And some of us, our kids have terrible nightmares about what they watch. And we're trying to keep them off those programs and keep them off TikTok and all that stuff. And I wanna say, let's keep doing that. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. But... What's more important is not just protecting them, but actually praying that their eyes would be open to Jesus and His Word and His goodness and His will. Because what we see in this chapter and in the book of Daniel is that Daniel and his friends were not protected from the horrors of Babylon. They saw horrific things, but their eyes were opened to the truth of who God is and His sovereignty and His goodness and His Word. And that held sway. And that's our hope in a world that's broken and dark, that actually as God opens up their eyes, they go, this is true and I'll never unsee that, amen? So let's go as Daniel has had these dreams and visions. Now we find him actually pouring over the Bible. And it says, in the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descend a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. That's a lot of info in three verses. But, but here's what's going on. Daniel, whose dream dreams, now opens the scroll of Jeremiah and he takes it to be the word of the Lord. And in it, Jeremiah prophesies that Israel will be in exile for 70 years. And Daniel starts to do a bit of history and a little bit of math. And as he does, 
he gets apocalyptic. His eyes are open to what God is doing, his will and his word, and it's awesome. And he starts, do some math with me. Now the Israelites were taken into exile in, a, in BC 605. And Daniel is in the first year of King Darius. Now King Darius is another name for Cyrus. Who was Cyrus? Cyrus came after Nebuchadnezzar. He was not Babylonian. He was the Medo-Persian king. And so already God is answering the dream about the rising and falling of nations. And, and Babylon is falling. Now the Medo-Persian empire is rising. And Cyrus actually by God's sovereignty would pay for the Israelites to come out of exile and rebuild the city and the temple. And it's getting near. And so Cyrus is made king in 538 BC. So exile began 605 BC. He's 538, do the math, do the math. Who you math buffs? Quick, quick, how long is that? 605 BC to 538. 67 years, right? And so, yeah, you were at the first service, you cheat. And uh, 67 years. So Daniel is reading the, the scroll of Jeremiah, the Word of God, and, and his eyes are open. He's like, oh shoot, we've only got three years left. And there's this apocalyptic moment where he realizes the time of waiting is almost over. The fat lady hasn't sung, but it's like, you know what I'm saying? It's almost over time. And he gets urgent. He gets urgent because he sees the will of God in the Word of God. I wanna say that it's such a gift that we have the Bible in our hands. In Daniel's time, the canon of Scripture had not yet been established, but he still took the scroll of Jeremiah to be the Word of the Lord. This was authoritative. And one of the reasons why we can be sure it's the Word of the Lord, not the Word of the man, is that actually it happened. After 70 years, God did cause Israel to come out of exile and He did move the heart of this king, King Cyrus, King Darius the Mede, to actually fund. The amazing thing is He took of the temple goods that the previous king stole and He used them to finance the rebuilding. God can take what man intended for harm, God can take it and turn it for good. We see it in history, amen? And so we have the Word of God, the sure purposes of God yeah, and man, the fact that we have the Bible in our hands, this treasure trove of God's promises, is so amazing. I was given this Bible this week, and it's made of goat skin, the cover. It's so soft. I feel almost guilty that a goat was killed for this, but I didn't buy it, it was gifted to me. So don't hate me. <laughs> But, but the Word of God in our hands is such a precious gift that, that actually God can open our eyes to recognize His will in His Word. I remember as a teenager sitting in this little Methodist church and this preacher who all my friends found really boring, he was preaching out of John 15 and something of what he did, I'd listened to many sermons, I'm a pastor's kid, this guy was boring, but as he preached John 15, it, it, it's, it's like it jumped out. I was transfixed. It's like my eyes were open and I wanted him to carry on beyond his 55 minutes. And I heard that Jesus is the vine and I'm the branches and he's appointed me to go and bear fruit, fruit that lasts. And I can still remember that sermon like it was yesterday because God opened up my eyes to his will and his ways and his word. 
And I want to tell you, parents, drag your kids off to Sunday school, off to church, off to, to youth group. There will be a day when their eyes will be open to the wonders of the Word of God. People come and say, I'm asking for the will of God. I just wish God would give me His will. And I'm like, have you cracked open His Word? Because I believe in dreams and visions and interpretations. I love that stuff. We're all about that stuff in this church. But, but you know what? The primary will of God, the big story of God is revealed in His Word. And one of the things we see that's the gift of the Word of God is that the timeline of the Word of God is just a lot longer than us. We live in this like 5G microwave, instant gratification society. And the moment there's like a delay in our lives, we just like, oh, God's forgotten. God's unfaithful. God's left me. But actually the, the gift of the Word of God is that as we put the timeline of our lives against the timeline of Scripture, 70 years in exile. Think of Abraham and Sarah. They were in their 90s before God gave them a child. Moses, 40 years in the wilderness. And I don't know about you, but the, you know, you have these milestones in your life. A lot of my, my friends are turning 40. They're just like, well, it hasn't happened for me yet. You know, all these promises. And, and, and so I must be on the right track. I'm just like, put your life against the timeline of Scripture. God is not slow in keeping His promises. And, and I fall into that trap too. I'm 50 next June. And I'm like, God, you've done some great things, but I've all these promises, God, my life's more than half over. Come on, God. And then you go, oh, but hold on, exile. 67 years before God came and spoke. And it's a gift, isn't it? To actually realize God is not slow in keeping His promises like some are slow. He is faithful. Find His will in His Word. People who come and say, oh yeah, you know, I'm looking for His will, but it's gonna be dreams and visions and interpretations only and don't crack, up, crack open the Word. I'm telling you, it's like those people that go and say, you know what? Don't go to in and out unless you get the secret menu. I love the fact that we've got a new in and out right here. Don't you? How many times have you gone honestly, right? It's awesome. And like, look, the secret menu. <laughs> Fess up, brother, confess. <laughs> the secret menu with, with, with the chopped pickles and the, and the special sauce. And I mean, that's all awesome. And it enhances the burger. But you can't tell me it's like, oh, you know, in and out is terrible unless you get the secret menu. No. You try and just get the secret menu without the burger. Try that. Try just to have mustard and, and chopped pickles and Neapolitan whatever milkshake without the burger. You're gonna get real indigestion. And then try, have a double-double cheeseburger with fries without the secret menu. It's still a jolly good burger. I mean, it's, in, it's enhanced by the secret menu, but it's still a jolly good burger. Jolly good. I, I don't want to cuss, so I'm saying jolly. In many ways, that is how the will of God works. This is like the burger. This is the substance. This is where we find the substance of God's will. The dreams and the visions, they're great. They enhance it. They like the secret menu. They cool, but you can't live on that stuff. You will get indigestion on that stuff. 
You say, I don't know what God's will. Crack open the word to 1 Thessalonians 5 and says, be joyful always, pray without ceasing, always give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. Start there. It's a great, healthy, solid substance place to start. And then let God join with the secret menu. Amen? So we find firstly, disciples' eyes are opened to the wonder of God's will in His Word. And then secondly, we find that disciples, apocalyptic disciples, grasp the power of humble, urgent prayer. Open our eyes, God, our kids' eyes and our eyes to the power of humble, urgent prayer. Verse three, after he's, he's realized, oh, time is getting short. The time is almost over. He says, then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking Him by prayer and pleas for mercy. Can you see the urgency here? He knows God is sovereign. He knows God has got a, a time of 70 years, but there's not one iota of passivity in Daniel. He pleads with God. He is urgent. By prayer, pleas for mercy. With fasting, he denies himself food, sackcloth and ashes. Ashes are what you wear when someone dies. There's a sense of death to self, self-denial. He puts on sackcloth. Have you ever worn sackcloth? Have you ever jumped along in one of those sack races? It's really itchy. It's really uncomfortable. And he is inflicting himself with discomfort. Why? Not because he's trying to earn God's favor. Not because he's trying to bend God's will. He's realized God's will. And what he's trying to do is bend his will around God's will. He's saying, God's gonna act in three years. God's gonna bring us out of exile. There's gonna be a rebuilding of the city. I'd better get ready. I better make sure that there's not unrepentant, idolatry in my heart because that's what got us into trouble in the first place. So he starts repenting and he starts identifying with the sins of Israel. There's a humility. And he carries on, says, I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love Him and keep His commandments. He's saying, God, you're covenantal. You are faithful. You are steadfast. You're gonna do what you said you do. I'm not trying to twist your will around my finger. I know you're gonna do what you do. But then He says, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes and our fathers and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belong righteousness, but to us, open shame. As at this day to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away in all the lands to which you have driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame. To our kings, to our princes, to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness for we have rebelled against Him. Can you see what Daniel is doing in his prayer? There's humility. To you, O Lord, belong righteousness. To us, open shame. To you, O Lord, belong mercy. To us, open shame. For we have rebelled against your prophets and your law. In other words, he's saying there is a gap between us and God. We are not like God. We are created in His image, but we're not like Him. There's this massive gap. There's a humility in His confession. 
And in fact, he's saying, actually God, what you've done in bringing us into exile, you were justified in doing it because we brought it on ourselves. We brought calamity on ourselves because we were idolatrous and we were rebellious. And I just wanna go, how different is this prayer from much of the prayer we hear today in California churches? So often there's presumption about God, like God's our drinking buddy. Like, of course he's gonna bless me. Of course I'm amazing. Of course, you know, I'm awesome. And he's not saying that. We'll get to the fact that Daniel is deeply loved. But right now he's saying, we're deeply flawed. We're in trouble. We're up the creek without a paddle. There's humility. If you travel to London, how many of you have gone on the tubes in London? And you go, you stand on the platform and then these speedy tubes, these, these trains coming past and this British voice, I need Sam here, says, mind the gap, mind the gap. In other words, like there's a gap between the platform and the train. And if you don't mind the gap, you're gonna fall through. And that's what Daniel is kind of going. He's like, mind the gap because to God belongs righteousness and mercy. To us belong open shame. And the problem is our culture has closed the gap and we've made a God in our own image. A God just like us. And I wanna say a God made in our own image is a God that won't confront us, that's great. He won't threaten us, He won't challenge us, but it's a God that can't save us. What He's saying is no, we are created in God's image and our sin has created a great gap between God and us. Mind the gap. Then He carries on though, it doesn't stop, this gap doesn't stop Him from appealing with urgency. He says, with urgent pleas, I came before God. And then he says this in in verse 15, I, I just love it. He says, oh Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, oh my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. The thing that's, that's amazing is Daniel is saying, God, there's, there's a gap between us and you. As, as high as the heavens are above the earth. Your, your ways and your word are, are above ours. You, you're not like us, God. But then he actually uses that to urgent plea for forgiveness where he's saying, God, yeah, there's a gap to, to us belong open shame, but to you belong mercy. In other words, it's like the Psalms say, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is the measure of your great love. In other words, your holiness isn't just way above us, but your mercy is too. And that's the beauty of a God that's not like us, where we go, oh God, you're more holy than us, but also you're far more kind than we are. In other words, God is not gonna give these people what their sins deserve. He's gonna be kind. And so this urgency, moves actually to a confession that is very, very confident in God hearing, God acting, and God forgiving. And it's not a self-confidence, it's a confidence in God and His goodness. As we come, let's come with humility, realizing there's a gap, but let's come with confidence and urgency, knowing the gap is for our good. God is just kinder than we are. God is less retaliating than we are. He doesn't give us what we deserve.
Why do we pray? If God is sovereign and He's just gonna do what He, he does, why do we pray? Well, we pray not to change the will of God, but prayer, and we see this here, mysteriously actually moves the heart of God. It moves the hand of God. Charles Spurgeon said this, trying to work out, well, well, well if God is sovereign, He's gonna do it, well, well, well why pray? He said this, prayer is the slender nerve that moves the muscle of omnipotence. Isn't that beautiful? We're not trying to change God's will. We are aligning our hearts with God's heart. But then we realize because we are His children, prayer moves His heart and moves His hand. I was chatting to a guy who's recently come to the church just in the last two weeks. And he said the first week he was here, he'd had um, a very troubled ending to his 10-year career and his boss had been terrible to him. And he arrived here so angry, he said, in fact, my heart was full of hate. And he said, there was a call, kind of a prophetic word of knowledge about people really struggling with anger. And he said, I just knew I needed to go for prayer. And I went over to this tall, red-headed British woman. One of our deaconesses called Deacon, not Deacon, Karen Jones. Deacon Jones. And, uh, and, and she said in a British accent, she said, do you mind if I put my hand on your heart? And the guy was like, okay. And she began to pray with urgency. And she said it was like Jesus melted the hatred off my heart. He said, I still feel angry in some way, but the hatred is gone. Something changed. Beloved, prayer changes things. Don't be passive just because we believe in God's sovereignty. Prayer melts hearts. We were with some of the pastors in Brea this last week. We've just got an incredible relationship with the churches, many churches in Brea. And we were just giving thanks to God because at the beginning of COVID, we were just like, what has hit us? And so we went up on the hill just by Breo Linda High School to pray. We just cried out to God in humility. God, you're God, we're not. You're sovereign, we're not. We don't know what's going on, but please, won't you use this to rebuild and bless and save? And out of that prayer time, God gave us a vision for a program called Feed Brea. Many of us had fed people in our individual churches, but let's do it together. So we partnered with the city, we did it. And over a year, I mean, the church, Big C Church in Brea has just got an award from the Brea Chamber of Commerce because the church, Big C, gave $1.7 million to feed 14,000 families last year. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, thank you, Jesus. It's not our church, it's the church, 14 churches. And we're just going, God, you're amazing. Out of a place of prayer, you hear, you act, you, you respond. And during that time, people were healed, people were saved. Ruben Segura led the charge here, and it was just outstanding. Now, the city is sponsoring our feeding programs that we do in our churches now. Because they're just like, the church is good news for the city. I just go, Man, let's not give up praying. That's why we get together with other churches tomorrow night because God listens, God responds, and God reveals His will that we wrap our will around His will, amen. 
Let our eyes be opened to that. Let's include our kids in that, that they go, oh, God actually answers prayer. It's not like a recipe. God's not like an ATM machine. God's not like a genie in a bottle. He's mysterious, He's sovereign, but we know He's covenantal and He does hear our prayer, amen? Disciples, apocalyptic disciples, have eyes open to the fact that they are both deeply flawed and greatly loved. Verse 18, for we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. Lord, forgive. Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. To us belong open shame, to you belong mercy. The whole concept of open shame is tough for us, isn't it? It's like Daniel is saying, God is publicly shaming His people. If anyone's been publicly shamed yet, it's not nice. But what we must do to understand what Daniel's about is to go back to Genesis after Adam and Eve sinned and they felt ashamed and they covered up their shame with fig leaves and they hid from God. What Daniel is doing, he's is recalling the human condition, our first parents, this lives in us. When we sin, when we break God's commands, when we rebel, we wanna hide and we wanna cover up our shame with fig leaves, but it doesn't work. And God, it says, came looking. Adam, where are you? Adam, where are you? Who did you listen to? But he doesn't come to publicly shame them. He comes, the Bible says, with skins. I absolutely love that. The first time anything was killed in creation was when God made skins to replace the fig leaves. A sacrificial substitute had to die so that Adam and Eve's hidden shame was brought into the open and was covered over. So when Daniel's saying, Lord, to us belong open shame, he's just calling Israel. He's saying, stop hiding like your parents. Come out, where are you? Come out front up to your shame, front up to the fact that there's a gap between God and us. Come up, not so that you stand there and God mocks you, but so that He can cover you with a sacrifice. That's the good news of the gospel. Daniel glimpsed the gospel in advance. And the amazing thing is in this chapter, verse 23, he says, I was praying and confessing my sin at the time of evening sacrifice. But here's the deal. There ain't no priest and there ain't no temple because they were in exile. So it's the time of evening sacrifice, but there's no sacrifice. And that's why Daniel, all he's got to appeal to is not a sacrificial animal, just the mercy of God. And that is the gospel. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to your cross I cling. That's the gospel. That's why we celebrate Reformation Day because in our shame, we always trying to cover up our shame with fig leaves with earning God's kindness, with obedience, with good works. And God's just saying, just put those fig leaves down. I've got skins. I made a sacrifice that you can't make. Jesus was so identified with your and my public shame that Jesus was willing to be publicly shamed on the cross, spat on, mocked, crown of thorns shoved on his head, king of the Jews, punched, slapped, stabbed and crucified. He was publicly shamed so that we might be covered with his sacrifice, not ours. And that's the beauty of the gospel. 
That's what Martin Luther discovered all those hundreds of years ago. And so many people were trying to buy indulgences to cover their shame. Martin Luther discovered in the Bible, it's by grace alone, by faith alone, through Christ alone. It's the Word of God alone. There's no sacrifice I can bring. Hallelujah. And we live with that. And beloved, we've still got a bit of a hangover from Reformation days in many ways because we still find ways to try and pay, to try and own, earn. But it's as though Luther was, was singing that, that hymn, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left, left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. I have in my hands some genuine in, indulgences. And these were purchased by Rachel's family. Rachel is our youth director. And her father in 1966 had indulgences that cost $10,000 bought by the Vatican and signed by the Pope that he might have his sins forgiven. That's what it says. This is not a time to diss the Catholic Church. This is a time to go, thank you, God, that you raised up reformers to say, no, this is not gonna do it. These are fig leaves. Jesus has made the sacrifice once and for all. And you know what's amazing? Rachel's father passed away two weeks ago, but he passed away with faith in Jesus and his sacrifice, not in these indulgences. It's amazing. Amazing. I want to say you don't have to wait until you're on your deathbed to put the fig leaves down, face up to open shame and say, God, cover me over in your son's sacrifice, in his blood. Some of you need to do that today. You just need to front up and say, I'm walking in shame. I'm walking in guilt. I'm trying to hide. I'm fronting up that I might be covered over by Jesus' sacrifice. That's the gospel. That's what he saw in advance. And you know, as parents, we are under such pressure to be perfect. And when our kids mess up, we feel shame. They feel shame. And one of the things about parenting is just to make the most of moments when shame is there to say, this is why the gospel is so good. We're not gonna hide. We're gonna admit our weakness. We're gonna admit that there's a gap between God and us, but this is why the gospel is so good because Jesus will cover us over. Think some of the best times for Ronell and I in parenting, hardest times is when our kids have messed up. And then we sit and say, look, that's wrong. It's a problem, but this is why Jesus died, that we might be covered over. Jesus paid it all. Sin had left a crimson stain but he washed it white as snow. Finally, we're gonna read just a couple of verses about this crazy end of the prayer. He's praying and he's confessing. And as he's confessing, this angel comes to him in swift flight. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin, the sin of my people Israel, presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill. While I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I'd seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, oh Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a war word went out and I've come to tell you, for you are greatly loved. Some of us 
are fearful of repenting and confessing our shame because we think it'll be bad for our self-image. But actually Daniel realized, I am both deeply flawed and deeply loved, and so are you. That is the gospel, that we are more deeply flawed than we could have dreamed, but more deeply loved than we could have imagined. Tim Keller's words. You're deeply loved. And so he's praying and this angel comes, an angel of swift flight, I love it, and says, from the day you started praying, a word went out. But on the way, there was this battle. And in chapter 10, he carries on, he says, I'm this angel, angel Gabriel, and on the way, the prince of Persia apprehended me for 21 days, but don't worry, I heard, God heard, here I am. And I just go, we don't have to understand that, but part of being apocalyptic is when the curtains are drawn back and we go, oh, delayed answer to prayer is not because God is faithless, God is deaf, God has left us. Part of delay is that there's a spiritual battle going on. And I'm not here to diss Halloween. I've learned not to do that. But we've gotta have our eyes open to the fact that spiritual darkness is real and Satan is real. So as we celebrate, let's be aware that darkness is going on even today. But then tomorrow, darkness is going on in different ways. There's a battle, there's a struggle. Satan is real, he prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he can devour. And our eyes need to be wide open to it. With our kids especially, there's a battle for their souls. God will have his way, but boy, we better be in the struggle. And if we think Satan's just gonna stop back and say, oh, you praying, it's gonna be fine, it's gonna be awesome. No, he's gonna give it his best shot. I wanna ask you, in view of God's sovereign grace, stay in the struggle. Stay in the struggle for your own soul. Stay in the struggle for your friends' souls. Stay in the struggle for your kids. Some of you have been praying for decades for your kids, for their eyes to be opened. What we find is when Daniel first had the vision, it was 12 years later, first had the vision of Gabriel, 12 years later, he comes in swift flight. Oh God, how many of us have been praying for something for 12 years? Stay in the struggle, stay in the struggle. God is not short. He's not slow in keeping His promises, as some are slow. To Him, a day is 10,000, 10,000 a day. Put your life against the timeline of a sovereign God. Ask for patience, ask for perseverance. There will be suddenlies as an angel of swift flight comes. Amen, let's pray. Jesus, we thank You so much that You are the greater Daniel. You identified with our open shame. And you, Jesus, were willing to be publicly shamed on our behalf. We thank you that you have overcome Satan. We thank you that you have overcome sin. But we find ourselves in the middle of the struggle. I ask Jesus that you would strengthen us. Strengthen us that we might stay in it. Lord, I pray that you would meet people in swift flight. Spirit of God, that you would send your angels, you would come in power. You would lift heads and hearts to remind people that you are true to your word. You are true to your promises and you are here to rebuild ruined lives. 
We thank you that we look back and we say, you rebuilt ruined Israel and you will rebuild your church. You will rebuild your people. So Jesus, we trust you. Amen.